This is Bucks First Thoughts, the news you need to get through your day in 45 minutes. Make sure you subscribe on the iHeart app or wherever you get your podcasts. Do we still live in a free country? Ask yourself that question. Really think about it. Don't just make it a rhetorical question. Really, really think this one through. Do we live in a free country? We have certainly been led to believe for a long time that the answer is obvious. In fact, you will know that when you were a kid, perhaps even, you would say in a moment of defiance, it's still a free country to somebody when they try to tell you what you couldn't do or you couldn't say. But is it really? Given what we've seen from the government apparatuses for the last 12 months or so, uh, I think we have to ask that question and come to the answer that right now it is not, in fact, a free country. If the government can tell you that you cannot go see relatives, friends, colleagues, if the government can shut down your business on a whim with no reason other than it says so, it's no due process, it's their decision. Your business is shut down. If the government can force your children, perhaps, to get vaccinated, which is something that has not yet happened, but people are seeing that it will likely happen. If the government can tell you you can't go to church and gather or go to temple and gather or mosque with your co-religionists and celebrate your faith. And if the government can tell you you're not allowed to breathe fresh air without obstruction and frustration. Are we really in a free country? I want you to think this one through. I want you to spend time on it. But I think the answer is right now, no. We are not. And it's also not just going to get better. I, I believe that we have been lulled into a false sense of this being temporary. Aspects of it certainly will be. There, there will be turning the pressure on, turning the pressure off. They'll elevate it, then they'll lower it a little bit. Then That's what they've been doing all along. And they say it's because of the data, the science, right? That's what the Fauciites tell you. But you may have seen over the weekend, Wall Street Journal even, not some left-wing publication, based on the global vaccination rate. Remember, there is here in America, and then there's the rest of the world. Based on global vaccination rates, and based on the rapidly emerging new strains of COVID-19, we are on track right now to still have COVID as a problem for years to come, perhaps seven to ten years, perhaps decades. They don't know. And you're already seeing people refer to the pandemic becoming an epidemic, a seasonal scourge that pops up similar to, yes, the flu. You're already seeing people making this case. And you also see this with the otherwise bizarre demand that you have to continue to mask up and social distance after you're vaccinated. Do you have to avoid crowds after you get a measles vaccination? No, of course not. Measles still exists, though, and there are occasional outbreaks of it. But we understand that that's a risk we are willing to run. See, this is where the fight is. The lockdowners, the left, they've created this world in which we cannot allow any risk from COVID. And there are many different reasons for this. There are those who are too terrified to think straight. And there are those who want to control you. And that's just for starters. That's just the beginning here. 
This is the nightmare some of us have been warning you about. You've probably thought for the last three or four months at least that with highly effective vaccines already in distribution or a few months ago about to be in distribution, you might get your life back soon, right? Maybe even by the summer of 2021, the masks would come off, schools and restaurants would open, even weddings and concerts would be back in action. Well, think again. The lockdowners and the mask cultists have other plans for you. Now, the media tells us with the pace of these vaccinations and the spread of new strains that COVID could be around, like I said, for a very, very long time, could be an endemic. Right. Like the flu, as in it's going to be within the population. Right. Within the population. That's uh, that's important for people to understand. That's just what we're looking at now. That's victory going from the epidemic. I mean, it was going, going from a pandemic everywhere to the endemic disease that exists and continues to exist over a period of time. And at a minimum, this means that arbitrary and idiotic mitigation measures like mask mandates, filling out test and trace forms, random temperature checks. Those could all become the new normal forever. And it will probably be far more intrusive and destructive than that. You've seen the attitude, the mentality of these lockdowners. They don't want to give you back freedom. They don't want to give you back liberty. No interest in any of that. And one thing's for sure already, they're going to drag out the pain, the misery, and the, the control as long as they can. Because too many people have too much emotional investment in their belief in science, which is a, itself a, a bizarre idea, absurd. It just feels so virtuous for MSNBC watchers, though, to sneer at the evil anti-mask Trump supporters that they imagine are the reason for this disease continuing to spread. Of course, while working class people deliver their packages and their food to them in the comfort of their very nice air conditioned and heated homes. No. The Biden administration, the left, the Fauciites, they're in no rush to let you have your life back. They want to get something out of this. It's a pretty valuable thing to borrow from Blagojevich. It's a valuable thing. You don't just give this away. You don't give back your, someone's life to them unless they do something to make you happy, to justify that trade, that transaction. No, quite the opposite. The left has conditioned much of the American public to act like brainless sheep who do whatever the bureaucrats with stethoscopes tell them. That's where we are. The left is leveraging this crisis and creating a turnkey totalitarian society. So they will find endless excuses to extend the covid lockdown misery. Sure, maybe they'll let up in places for the summer months. And you really think that if this mentality continues on, if the zero risk Fauciite approach continues, that they will just give you back your liberty. This disease is not going to be at zero. There'll still be people out there in hysterics demanding you mask. And there'll be people demanding you mask up all summer. Not necessarily in your state, perhaps, but in a lot of places across the country. And you think the Biden administration is going to let you fly without a mask on? You think interstate travel and the federal government is not going to use its powers to restrict your abilities to live your life normally just because they're terrified that somebody somewhere may be going maskless. Oh, my gosh, how horrible. 
my friends, they bleat listen to the science. And we know this has become a rallying cry for those too frightened to think for themselves or too infatuated with controlling others to understand that life comes with risks. There is no perfect security. And if you try to gain it through the state, you will merely give up all your liberty and run risks to your security of a different nature, as well as the original risks that they promise to protect you from. Here's what the science actually tells anybody who's going to be honest about it. Open the schools. How long have I been saying that? And you know I'm right. Stop wearing masks outside. What the heck is this nonsense? Who came up with this? Everyone at low risk should start living normal lives. Not next fall, not next year, now. And the lockdowns did not work and they weren't necessary. Florida is the experiment that proves this. The debate over that should be over, but no, it's really just starting. They are rewriting the history in front of your very eyes. They're going to act like they won a battle that they actually lost. Just like many totalitarian regimes of the past, they, they, they get annihilated on the actual battlefield. The results, the losses are clear for anybody who was there. And they go home and they tell the population, we had a great victory. We had a great victory. That's the Fauciite approach with lockdowns to COVID-19 setting all new records in the last 60 days for cases in one day, for deaths in one day, for hospitalizations. And yes, it has started to go down. That's because we're going to be in the middle of February soon, and there is a seasonality to this virus. And there are vaccinations getting out there. There are things pulling down this curve. But it's not double masking, okay? And we all know it. And the social media companies, which you have to remember, are not run by brilliant technical uh, computer engineers. Yeah, they work at those places and there is a genius behind the scenes in the, in the back end and a tremendous power in these sites. But the people that are making policy about all of this, the people that are deciding what you can and can't say, they're English literature majors from Bard and Wellesley and Reed College. That's who actually sits around at places like Facebook and Google and determines what people like me can say about the pandemic. Not only are they not experts on the issue, they're just not very smart. A bunch of brainwashed, petty totalitarians, and they have done everything they can to shut down the free, open and honest debate that should have been at the center of lockdowns all along. But has that been the case? Has that been where we are? No, of course not. Silence ideas that are outside the consensus. Punish people. Punish people for even making jokes about this, as I have found out I'm not allowed to do. No, instead of embracing the truth and the freedom that would come with it, the lockdown left is doubling down. They may relieve some of these measures in the short term, but it's like bringing you a pizza while you're in prison. It's nice for the night, but the next day you go back to the gruel that they've been shoveling in front of you and all the restrictions on your conduct and on your freedom still exist. So it's a temporary reprieve from their totalitarianism. That's what they're offering you. They will not embrace the freedom that we should have right now. They want to maintain the right to tell you to mask up next winter, to shut down some businesses. They want this control going forward. 
because forever COVID is the excuse for it. And they're training the population right now to do what the government says and not ask questions. They are training us so that we will just obey. Do you think they're really going to limit this to COVID? Do you think that they're not going to apply this same stop at nothing scorched earth approach to any number of different urgent political challenges the left thinks are out there? Most notably climate change, where you've already seen just what a bunch of maniacal lunatics they are. No, they are changing the American psyche right now because they are making us feel at our core that we are not a free people. We exist by the leave of the elites. And as long as we think we are safe and warm and fed, it's all the same to us. That's America in 2021 until we decide it's not. This is the Buck Sexton Show podcast. Follow Buck on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Hi there. I'm Jill Biden here at the White House with our two dogs, Champ and Major. For a lot of us during this pandemic, our pets have been such a source of joy and comfort. And maybe a bark or two on a video conference. The unconditional love from a dog is one of the most beautiful things on earth. And we owe it to them to keep ourselves healthy. So please keep wearing your masks, even when you're out walking your dog. Right, guys? Okay, think about this. Are you in a crowd when you're walking your dog? Let's just start with this. I mean, this is this is the prop, the big brother propaganda from the first lady now. Very political issue. We, we don't need her. We don't need her weighing in on science. She's not a real doctor. She's not even a real scholar, but that's a whole other thing. I don't need her weighing in. I don't need to hear this from the first lady. Who cares? Uh, but but let's let's actually pay attention to this for a second. Where is the large peer reviewed uh, controlled a controlled group based study, an actual scientific study. Forget about the peer reviewed part, by the way, because they just they just rubber stamp each other stuff that they like. Where's the actual data to show that there is outdoor spread that happens in free flowing air, that outdoor spread of covid is a real problem. Remember the Sturgis motorcycle rally and they said, oh, my gosh, that's a super spreader event. It's spreading covid everywhere. No, no, it actually wasn't true. There might have been a couple of cases here or there, but. I mean, there are a couple of cases for people to go to grocery stores, a couple of cases for people that, you know, use the same elevator. I mean, who knows? And yet they still say this stuff. Wear your mask outside. Where is Fauci on this one? Why should we wear masks outdoors? Show me someone. Show me the signs. Not, oh, we pulled a couple of researchers who looked at one place and another place for two weeks And the place where people were in masks outdoors had a 5% decrease in COVID compared to the other place that's totally different that they didn't wear masks outdoors based on some survey we did of like 200 people. And therefore, we have to wear masks outdoors. And if you actually look at what they call the science here, it's sloppy garbage. The only really large study of this that was done was actually done in China. And I know you'd say, well, Buck, how can we trust China? I don't know why they would lie about the outdoor transmission rate of this, right? I mean, they, yeah, they lied in the early days about human-to-human transmission, but they were trying to stop the panic, but the panic had already happened when this came about. They did a, a large study in China, and they found that basically no cases of COVID were... This is in the, the big Chinese study from last March or April of 2020, I believe it was. Basically no cases of COVID out of thousands studied came from outdoor transmission. 
based on all the test and trace they have. And remember, they're they're an actual totalitarian society, so they have much greater ability to get people to comply with things like this. And so I just have to ask, you know, what exactly as we look at this, what is it going to take for people to understand that this is not this is not rooted in data or truth. This is just part of the panic. This is just part of what we're always being told. And the first lady of the United States at the Super Bowl is saying it for a very specific reason. Everybody is supposed to comply. Everybody is supposed to bend the knee. Why? Wearing a mask when you're walking your dog. I walk a dog every day. Okay, she is white and soft and adorable. And uh, her name is Tallulah. And I walk, she's a little French bulldog and she snorts like a little pig. And she's, yeah, she's also, by the way, I love that the Bidens have two dogs and love their dogs. I actually, there are some things I like about the Bidens. That's probably the very top of the list, okay, that they have dogs and they love their dogs. Uh, But you don't walk your dogs in a crowd. You don't walk your dogs up close to people. So why should I wear a mask when I'm doing that? Well, if the answer is because of some kind of mask solidarity, then why shouldn't I be told to wear a mask indoors alone in my own apartment? Where some places have actually said that, by the way. Why not wear a mask in the shower to really show how dedicated I am? Why not triple mask? Double masking is better. Triple masking clearly better than that. I mean, really, if I want to just save everybody, I should just put a plastic bag over my head and only allow myself to, to, to breathe, you know, once every two minutes and hope I don't pass out. This is how stupid. This is how absurd it is all getting. And here we are. First lady, wear your mask alone outside walking the dog. Uh, well, Madame Jill Biden? No. You're in the Freedom Hut. Thanks for listening to the Buck Sexton Show podcast. Get the latest from Buck at BuckSexton.com. Do you think it's time for schools to reopen? I think it's time for schools to reopen safely. Safely. You have to have fewer people in the classroom. You have to have ventilation systems that have been reworked. Our CDC commissioner is going to be coming out with science-based judgment within, I think, as early as Wednesday as the layout, what the minimum requirements are. Safely. we got to do it safely. Look, please go to BuckSexton.com. I have an editorial up today on forever, the fight against forever COVID. You know that I've seen all this stuff coming. You know that I've had, and I don't mean, I'm not trying to brag about it or something, and I'm not the only one, but I know what they're going to try to do here. I know what they've been doing, and the record speaks for itself in that regard. So please go to BuckSexton.com, read my editorial there on the fight against forever COVID and and share it to your Facebook page. That's a really helpful thing to do. Just just press the share button to your Facebook page. I I want it is really important to me that we win this fight. I, I want this to go the way it needs to go. And that means people have to understand what's really happening here. They have to understand what we're truly up against and things like Joe Biden saying, we're going to reopen schools safely. We got to reopen the schools safely. This is this is all nonsense. Schools have always been safe. The, the, the data doesn't say they would be safe if what the data tells us is that schools are safe, have been safe, will be safe. That children are, thank God, at effectively zero risk and very, very unlikely to spread this to anyone. And then you'd say, well, what about the teachers? I know we always hear this. What about the teachers? Uh, Well, there are other people who are working in critical positions 
doing so for less glory and even money than teachers are. You know, thank you, postal service workers, grocery store clerks, truckers. You know, thank you to the people that are keeping the country going during the pandemic. And beyond that, most teachers are under the age of 65. In fact, most teachers, a vast majority of them are in their 30s and 40s. And so we're at entirely acceptable risk from COVID-19 unless they have some comorbidity or some additional health issue. And if that's the case, they should make arrangements for that teacher to do Zoom instruction. But for a teacher who's 25, who just doesn't want to go back into the classroom or a teacher who's 35, who just doesn't feel like actually having to show up in person. The response for the government authorities, because these are public sector employees, they work for the government in the public school system, should be show up or find another job. That's it. That's not some that's not some horrible prison sentence. That's, you know, OK, you don't it doesn't matter to you enough to actually teach these kids, you know, go go do something else. Learn to code. Have fun. You know, go set up a one of these you know side hustles online where you're selling and reselling Amazon products or something. And if you look at Instagram or TikTok these days, people are making millions doing that. I mean, I, I don't believe any of that stuff, but I'm just saying there's other other ways, other ways um, that we have to view this. But the Democrats rely on, you know this, the Democrats rely on the teachers unions for a lot. They rely on the teachers unions for a lot. And that means that they're not going to tell them, they're not going to speak out against them in any meaningful way. And that allows the continued suffering of children. Now, I, I understand that in Chicago, it looks like they've reached a tentative deal. You know that in Chicago, they had already reached a deal. And they had done all the things. They're not even really doing school the way that they should. Now, can I be clear about this? Uh, they're not even telling people, go back to school. Kids should not be wearing masks. Okay? Kids shouldn't be masked up all day. This is absurd. Kids don't need to be socially distanced in school. They are not at risk from the disease. This is known. This is established. It has been shown in country after country all over the world. So why are we masking up kids? Oh, you know, now you start to see, you know, to, to make us into the bleeding sheep who do what we're told, you want to start young. You know, you, you, you want to get to us before, before we actually have uh, thought processes of our own about things like this. You know, that's, that's the way that it goes. You want, you want to tell us when we're eight years old, mask up, be quiet. Here's some social justice reading for you. Okay. Uh, the Chicago public schools was finally, I think, too much. Too much. Um, and now everyone's finally understanding what's been going on here, and, and that is there's been a complete lack of willingness. There, there's been an insistence from people on the left that they uh, that we not really conduct ourselves like reasonable adults that can who can balance out the needs of society and the need to protect people, especially at risk people from this disease. It's just been whatever the establishment demands we've been willing to go along with. Whatever the the Fauciites have decided on any given day, that then becomes the excuse for shutting down dissent and telling everybody that this is the way 
that it, it has to be. Uh, this is the way it has to be. And, and it's a shame. It's a shame. They're just figuring out now all, all the suffering that has gone on out there. Here's Treasury Secretary Janet Yellen um, understanding this now. Play two, uh, play four. People are on the verge of uh, losing the roofs over their heads. Um, the package provides rental assistance. Um, we have 24 million adults and 12 million children that are, are going hungry every day, and we need to provide them with food. Um, we have people suffering, particularly low-wage workers and um, minorities, and through absolutely no fault of their own, we have to get them to the other side and make sure this doesn't take a permanent toll um, on their lives. So we need a package that's big enough to address this full range of needs. And I believe that the American Rescue Plan is up to the job. Can I, can I be very I want to be very clear here. I want to be very clear. here. It's like the Democrats are just waking up right now and figuring out that it is predominantly low income and minority kids who are suffering from these uh, school shutdowns. It is predominantly or actually almost entirely the working class, generally speaking, who are having a hard time putting food on the table, keeping up with their with their bills um, maintaining payments for their rent or their mortgage, and that the feckless and unaccountable decisions of Gavin Newsom and Governor Cuomo and Governor Pritzker and Gretchen Whitmer up in Michigan and Governor Murphy in New Jersey, you know, go down the list. Those decisions have hurt people. They've acted the whole time like there was no choice here. We had to do all these things. Really? We, we had to shut down businesses on an arbitrary fashion? Because in New York, we're reopening restaurants, for example, in less than two weeks with higher caseload than when we shut it down. So what is it? The pain, the economic pain got to be too much politically. It used to be that they would all pretend that economic pain didn't matter. Didn't matter. It's about saving lives. If you even talked about keeping society going, you were a reckless monster who wanted grandma to die. And yet here we are. Now we can finally have the discussion. Now we can finally look at this and say, hmm, there was a balance that needs to be struck. There was honesty that we needed to have in all of this. Yeah. Just in just in time, of course, for there to be an administration that's going to love the abuse of the power that it's already gathered along all of this. You're listening to the Buck Sexton Show podcast. Make sure you subscribe to the podcast on the iHeartRadio app or wherever you get your podcasts. Burn it down, they chant as they march through our nation's capital. A whole bunch of Biden voters, everybody. Anybody care? Does this matter to anybody? Do we, do we pay any attention to this? Why is it insurrection and domestic terrorism when once in the very, very, very rare occasion, there are a bunch of people who are loosely associated with the right in some way who make a bad make bad decisions and break the law and uh, and and riot. But there are there are riots and there's law breaking on the left in the name of politics all the time. And 
the damn. Well, I mean, I'm asking these questions rhetorically. We know the answers. They like what they like. They justify what they justify. And we're supposed to forget that even though we have a Biden administration, there are still people running around acting like we are in the grips of some kind of totalitarian authoritarian madness from the right. That there's going to be this is what's so scary. They've created this this entirely false construct while they are in power. Think about what the Democrats control. They control the executive branch. They have a majority in the House. They have control in, in the Senate. They have social media, news media, Hollywood, academia, most of the legal profession, most of the of the of the judges across the country. I mean, you go down the list. Think of all the institutions that the left controls and the way they're leveraging those institutions as part of a purge of the right, a purge of ideas that they do not like. Think of all that that's happening. And yet, sure enough, sure enough, they think that the problem is right wing authoritarianism. We are, I mean, the right is on defense across the country, everywhere. We know this. And we should be honest about it. The right is on defense, no question about it. And yet we find ourselves in a situation where uh, we're being told the problem is that there could be a conservative insurrection at any moment. There could be a conservative overthrow of the government. We're, we're trying to just, like, not get kicked off the Internet. We're trying to not have... Our banks say they're not going to allow us to have banking services anymore or, you know, that, that's where we are. And yet there's this whole conversation about Trumpism and the Trumpers and the counterinsurgency laws applied to them, and everything else. This is straight up madness. It's absurd. It's wrong. And it is uh, deeply upsetting on, on top of all of this. Uh you see the way that they're discussing this and you see the way that they talk about this and they're just delusional. They are just delusional. Here's uh, Representative Hakeem Jeffries on the on the second impeachment of Donald Trump. Um, I, I want to dig into this a bit because, as you know, this is it's impeachment 2.0 week. Play it. But, John, this is an open and shut case. Uh, we all have heard the president's inflammatory rhetoric throughout the duration of the final few months of his presidency. Uh, we all know that the president lied about the election, said that it was stolen from him, held stop the steal rallies, perpetrated the big lie that resulted in the mob coming to Washington, which he summoned. He then inflamed and incited the mob and then directed them to march on the Capitol. And we saw what happened with deadly consequences, a violent attack on the citadel of our democracy. He told them to march and have their voices peacefully heard. If telling someone to do something peacefully is the same as telling them to do it violently, then words have no meaning. Then language does not matter. And I think... We all understand. I think we all understand that that cannot be the way that we go forward. Um, I shouldn't say we all, but you and I and the whole country doesn't. So certainly there's half the country that wants the president to be impeached. But that, that, does anyone think that number is particularly different from what it would always be? I mean, how, uh, here's, here's a fun fact. 
What percentage of the nation voted for Joe Biden and what percentage of the nation thinks that that Trump should be convicted by this Senate trial? He's already been impeached. I know, you know, our our language for all this stuff is somewhat, somewhat imprecise, somewhat full of uh, shortcomings. But what's being said right now is is just it's just making everything for the country worse. And instead of Democrats, you'll notice they're in power now. They haven't shown us some surge of good governance. They don't have great ideas. The stuff they're doing is dumb, destructive, unhelpful, ideologically driven, hysterical. This is not this is not a return to some Biden era normalcy where everything's going to be okay and good old Grandpa Joe is going to make everything just fine. No, the radical left is basically calling the shots inside the Democrat Party. They're pushing the agenda. And part of that agenda is to is to say that what happened on Capitol Hill on January 6th was the worst thing that's ever happened in the country. And that's just not true. They can keep saying it. It's just not true. Ayanna Presley uh, continuing with this this storyline that somehow what somehow what happened on January 6th was about white supremacy. I mean, I've been telling you about this. Uh, white supremacy. Who said this was a white supremacist rally? There was no white supremacist rhetoric around it. There was it was about an election. It was about a candidate that had 75 million people vote for him, including more black and Latino voters the second time than the first time. And it's a white supremacist assault. Well, that 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 sounds scary. That's what they say. Play 18. But let me just say this for those that continue to feign great surprise about what happened on January 6th as a black woman. To be barricaded in my office using office furniture and water bottles on the ground in the dark, that terror, those moments of terror, is familiar in a deep and ancestral way for me. And I want us to do everything to ensure that a breach like this never occurs at the Capitol, but I want us to address the evil and scourge that is white supremacy in this nation. This is not only about securing the Capitol to ensure that members and our staffs and the custodial staff and food service workers are safe in the Capitol. Mm-hmm. It is that we are safe in America. And one of the images that I'm haunted by is the black custodial staff cleaning up the mess left by that violent white supremacist mob. That is a metaphor for America. We have been cleaning up after vi- violent white supremacist mobs for generations, and it must end. I'm just wondering who who was cleaning up after the hundreds of riots, the thousands of businesses looted, destroyed, attacked, lit on fire. Who was cleaning that up? Do we get to know? Fair question to ask. Just wondering. Oh, oh, right. That was about justice, right? Destroying a lot of businesses, including a lot of minority owned businesses, because it was Biden voters doing it. That was somehow about justice, and it certainly wasn't terrorism. This is Buck's First Thoughts, the news you need to get through your day in 45 minutes. Make sure you subscribe on the iHeart app or wherever you get your podcasts. Harsanyi time. Our friend David Harsanyi with us now. He is a senior writer at National Review. David, happy post-Super Bowl Monday. Thank you. You as well. Who, Who did you root for? I didn't really root. I, I, I'm i not even honestly, I, I feel like I get socially pushed because I just want to hang out with my, my family members who do like football. So I end up watching, even though I, I really could care less, quite honestly. And this time around, I think it's cool that Tom Brady showed everybody that he's probably the greatest football player of all time. I think it's fascinating that so many people 
hate him so much because they think that he's some big Trump supporter when I think he's just kind of vaguely friendly with Trump. I don't think it's that big a deal. But uh, not that that should matter either way. But, uh, you know, it was a boring game, though, David. And that's um, I like to see I like to see things a little bit more uh, a little more of a struggle, a little bit more of a back and forth. Yeah. Tell me this. What are you seeing right now with impeachment week upon us? Because I feel like this is to borrow from from Yogi Berra deja vu all over again. And yes, I know that's a joke. People always write me when I say that. that That's the point. It's supposed to be a joke. Uh, But it does feel like we went through this before. We're going to have a lot of worthless speeches from people um, who are just lawyers really auditioning for MSNBC contributorships, talking about the beauty of our democracy and the evil of Donald Trump, who's not even president anymore. I don't think they're going to have the votes. And so what's the point, David? Well, I think the point is to stretch out the Trump presidency. I think that uh, Marjorie Taylor Greene is just not going to do it for them. So having Trump there as the boogeyman post-election is something that they think will be helpful for them politically. And I, uh, just as a matter of principle, am never against impeachment. So I think most presidents should probably be impeached. So I'm, I'm, I'm constitutionally, I, I accept the idea that, that, that presidents can be impeached post or removed post-presidency. Or I guess, you know, found guilty. But I think it's uh, I think it's going to backfire on them. I just don't believe most Americans understand why they're doing it. I think that it's going to deflect attention away from uh, any kind of uh, agenda that they have moving forward that might be popular or maybe maybe not. So I just don't really get why they're doing it other than what you say. I think it's for a lot of uh, showboating, a lot of preening about morality. And I think people are going not going to understand why it's happening. I mean, just fundamentally to to me, I'm seeing that there's there's a lot of people now who are are just in in public discourse, commentators and others who are just lying about this insofar as they say Trump ordered them. Trump ordered them to to go uh, do an insurrection on Capitol Hill. That's just not true. I mean, I've been very critical of the exaggerated, the exaggerated claims about provable fraud from the election and I think that that I think that that was was irresponsible and it was done by a lot of people and including the president himself. Um, but he didn't tell them to actually go do the thing. And people are saying, oh, yeah, he told them to go do this thing. Right. Such as that, even. I mean, now it's like Ted Cruz was sent to kill me. And, you know, Ted Cruz sent a mob to kill me. And all the now all Republicans it keeps growing and growing, whereas I read through the, the things that Trump said. Listen, I don't like it. I think he incited them in a way. But, I mean, if those words are going to be impeachable words, we're going to have a big problem. Um, I think it's irresponsible behavior. If you want to impeach him, fine. But to pretend that he specifically incited or instructed that crowd to do what they did, that crowd, that, you know, those rioters, um, that's that's going to be set precedence. I don't think anyone's going to be very happy with. Of course, they never have to live. Democrats never have to live by their own precedence. But still, I think that it's going to be a weird case to make. And, you know, I was looking at the polling when they say, you know, 52 percent of people think it should be impeached and removed. Well, that's the same percentage that was that was before. I mean, you could have polled the second day and you probably have that kind of percentage in polling for impeaching him. I think it's any popular now than it was then in the long run, for sure. I'm concerned about what what I think is a, is a near certainty at this point, and and you you raise this essentially with your point about Marjorie Taylor Greene, MTG, where the 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 left. It's not like in a post Trump era of politics, there's going to be any sense of 
let's let's all come together and be friends. I mean, I, I don't know if you saw there was an article in the Los Angeles Times where a woman says that her next door neighbor, Trump supporters, did a really fantastic job just to be kind, plowing her whole driveway for her. So she had no problem getting out. And then the, the whole article is these are basically like the supporters of Hitler. And so what do I do? I can't accept this from them because Trump is so evil. But they just did this random act of kindness for me for no reason. And I feel like maybe they're nice people, but I can't think they're nice people because they're Trump supporters. I think that's a widespread mentality. I actually think it's a mental illness. And I think that millions of Democrats have it. Yeah. I mean, I don't know how widespread it is among real people. Maybe it is. I don't know. But uh, folks who the woman who wrote, I think it was a woman who wrote that piece, you know, for her politics is her religion. So she so she is kind of demeaning people, dehumanizing her neighbors because they don't agree with her on her politics, because that's the only, you know, politics has replaced religion. And many people have said that or made that argument. And I think it's true. And you need something to fill that void. And people are turning towards politics. And when they do that, they create uh, these, you know, black and white scenarios and their enemies are Trump supporters and Trump himself. And they really believe is Hitler. I mean, we've seen I've seen so many columns where like they ask, is it wrong to compare Trump to Hitler? No, this is like 1934, you know, and it just I think it's like a coming together of historical illiteracy, of believing that of, of egomania in the sense that you believe that this is the most important time ever. And that is the most evil man who's ever lived, et cetera. And then you have people who don't want their neighbors shoveling their, you know, their their sidewalks. So it's a dangerous I think it's a dangerous way to view the world. And I think we. I don't know. I, more, I used to think that this was all overdone, but more and more, I think we're, we're in some serious trouble. Not that I think we should unite. That's not the point of America. America is you're supposed to be able to believe what you want and still live together, not unite in your ideology or politics. That's the point of the United States. But I think many people have lost that. And we're in I think we're in some trouble. Yeah, well, I think you, you hit a, a very important point here. And we're speaking to David Harsani. He's a senior writer at National Review. And David, we talk about we talk about unity. And there have been a lot of jokes made about this, and I think that they're they're both amusing and very true that unity in the current context means apologize for everything you used to believe, agree with everything I believe, and maybe we'll stop like ruining you, getting you fired from your job and kicking you off the Internet. Uh, the, the, The real unity that I thought we were going for in America was we're ultimately Americans. We, you know, respect the rule of law. We have a we have some shared bonds and commonality from just being Americans and you get to do your thing and I get to do my thing. And, you know, if you shovel out my driveway and it's a nice thing, I say thank you, irrespective of your politics. That's what unity I, I thought was what we meant in America. Right. And that's what should mean. Unity does not. I mean, having unit, you have unity in authoritarian places. And let's be honest, I think progressives are authoritarian. They believe the state should be controlling what we do. And now they obviously believe that the state should be telling us what to think and how to act. And um and that there is no place in society for people who disagree. And they offer, as many authoritarians do, collective guilt. I mean, or they create collective guilt. So if uh, I am just like the person, essentially, I mean, I get this all the time on social media and in emails. I essentially am part of that mob that that rioted at the Capitol now. Whereas I don't agree. I mean, I am like a big skeptic. I don't believe in, you know, I don't believe in conspiracy theories. I don't believe in violence. I have nothing to do with those people. I think they're crazy. But yet I will be part of that. And that's how they work. And that's how authoritarianism works. And now you have entire magazines like The Atlantic, entire 
um, editorial pages like the New York Times, making cases against the Constitution, pretending that Republicans are have some kind of minority rule and are controlling the country. They don't believe in the Constitution and they don't believe in act the kind of unity that the founders believed in. I mean, that's the sad case. I'm not saying all Republicans are perfect and not, none of them want to control people and there are no authoritarians on the right. Just saying it's widespread and mainstreamed on the left. Right now it is mainstreamed by a president who uses uh, executive orders like crazy. He's far more uh, abusive of the executive power than Trump ever was. I mean, there's no comparison already and we're only a few weeks in and yet they ignore that. The guy's talking about a domestic uh, law to hunt down, uh, you know, counterterrorists, meaning uh, MAGA supporters. I, yeah, no counterterrorism. Yeah, the armed the armed forces are being investigated for people's thought crimes. I mean, people who are in the armed forces. These things, if he, if if Trump had done these things in the reverse, there would be a huge hat crime. They'd be right, but no one says anything on that side right now. It's amazing the the double standards that are under underway right now. You know, David, there there was a. Uh, it was actually in a Glenn Greenwald piece over the weekend, uh, and I'll just sort of tell you that the details, but I think you understand the, the basic premise because you've seen it, too, where there are there are people now who think that their job as reporters is and, and he names Green, uh, Greenwald names who's a leftist. And I think a leftist who he's good on free speech and pretty much nothing else. He likes dogs, too. We both like dogs. I think that's about it. But, you know, he is he is a free speech guy. He actually does believe that. I mean, he's kind of old school, you know, 30 years ago, maybe ACLU in that approach. Um, And not that the ACLU didn't have problems then, too. But you know what I mean? But he writes about about uh, Taylor Lawrence, at the New York Times and um, Oliver Darcy at CNN. And there's a whole bunch of them who who are actively trying to find places online where journalists are having conversations so that they can then find when they say something they're not supposed to, like they're having a private conversation. This is a come up in this clubhouse app, this new app. And and then they try to ruin them. I mean, they're basically infiltrating uh, conversations with other journalists or other people who are public intellectuals or public figures in some capacity, in some cases doing it surreptitiously or trying to get access to those chat logs. I mean, it's like they're snitching on people for their text messages effectively the most recent one was Taylor Lawrence of the New York Times, who's a tech reporter who is awful, uh, r- r- trying to say that Mark Andreessen, who's a very famous uh, you know Silicon Valley tech guy, used the R word and therefore should be canceled and did, r- accused him of doing this. And, and she said this publicly. And it turns out he actually didn't use it. Somebody else on the on the uh, in the chat or on the call. Uh, it was a clubhouse. It was audio. Somebody else said it. And in reference to Reddit people who are using it as a rallying cry during the whole GameStop thing. But she tried to ruin this guy. And this is the game now. I mean, they have people who their full time job is to find you or me, you know, in a, in a text chat using a naughty word so we can get fired. And this is journalism now. That's uh, not journalism at all. Nothing enrages me more than what's going on with that in that aspect, you know. Uh, those people who stay, listen, I think some of them, like Oliver Darcy, I mean, he would do whatever he needed to do to have his job, to get his check. He's a complete sycophant. But there are other people who are just have authoritarian instincts. I, w- I need to get a, a thesaurus to find better words for authoritarian, because but that is what these people are. Um, for a journalist to try to track down people, to shut down voices is just, it, it's never happened. I mean, I was reading a column from 1979 recently uh, in a book. Uh, it was a Washington, and they were talking about the Washington Post editorial board defending the Skokie uh, 
Nazis and saying that we have to make sure everyone is the best way to fight evil speech is with more speech and all that stuff. Today, it's just the opposite. And uh, I mean, I I don't even know what to say about that. I know it starts in journalism schools. I don't know if you know Jay Rosen. He's one of these. I think he's at the NYU journalism school. He's on there constantly calling for people to try to ban speech, shut down voices all the time. I mean, this is insane. And these are the, these are the schools that um, you know that these are the schools that produce these sorts of people. It's just insane, and it's terribly, terribly corrosive to freedom and free speech because you're normalizing and mainstreaming again ideas about free speech that will make the First Amendment useless. Because if you don't believe in the underlying ideas of freedom as a neutral principle, you don't believe in the Constitution. And I totally don't think most of these people believe the Constitution. Uh, is you know should exist. I think they think it's antiquated. I think they um, want to get rid of it. So I think that's the main fight, or should be the main fight moving forward for the right to protect that constitution. I'm seeing a lot of what what I would consider to be kind of Politburo style tortured logic that always circles back to whatever whatever is best for us is what's best for all, and therefore whatever we think is best for in this situation is is what is best. Right. I mean, it's it's a, it's tautological, right? It's this is the way because I say it, it must be so. And you, with journalism now, I've, I've seen this and I wish I could cite the person, but it's one of these journalism professor types saying that journalists have to struggle with the fact that today the First Amendment itself is a threat to journalism. This is the new line. I don't know if you've seen that. It's like saving the free market, destroying the free market to save the free market under Bush. Right. Um, Here's the thing, you know, they, they, they say, listen, for the common good, we can't have people saying crazy things that incite violence. You know, words now are violence. I just don't think that that's true at all. There is something called incitement and it's a legal concept. Words are not incitement. You know, bad ideas are not incitement. Not even evil ideas are. And just because incidentally you suppress them on Twitter or something doesn't mean they don't exist. Doesn't mean those thoughts aren't there. But more than that, they keep telling me, like, you know, for the common good, we need to do that. Politics is an argument over what the common good is. If you're just skipping that part, then you're not debating politics anymore. You're just telling us what to do. And that's what they want to do because they think that because they want a presidential election, they now get to control everything Americans do and think. I don't even care. You know, people like, why are you protecting this Nazi or why are you protecting? Yeah. I mean, if it comes to free speech, I'm for protecting that speech. You're not going to browbeat me that way. And one day, you know, one day maybe they'll twist something I say into, you know, something racist or whatever. And they call you that anyway. And my uh, career will be over and that that will be it. But, you know, I'm still I mean, I'm not trying to pretend I'm brave or anything. At least you and me are going to go out on principle here, David. I say the same thing. I've told my family members that I'm like, I've had a normal job before. I could have a normal job again if I have to not be in media. That's fine. So, I mean, people got to be. Yeah. I have no other skills, Buck. So this is <laughs> well, well, we'll figure it out. We'll, we'll, we'll open up a nice, you know, a nice sandwich shop somewhere. But anyway, David Harsanyi, everybody, follow him at National Review, nationalreview.com. Thanks so much, David. Anytime. Thank you.